happening. Um, we are coming from the book of John as we have, turn down a little bit, we're coming from the book of John as we have been uh, for a while now. And today um, we're coming from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And this is also MLK weekend. Um, this sermon won't be necessarily uh, centric to uh, the MLK and, and the, the great person and, and figure that he was in history. Um, however, we're going to talk about um, something that I do think is uh, really, really appropriate as we talk about the history of the church and the activity, the redemptive activity of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout particularly the marred history of our country through slavery and segregation. One of the things that people ask very often is how in the world did these slaves come to know the God of the slave masters, having been oppressed by them and with a lot of their the oppression being justified through the faith of the slave masters. And the reality is because the faith that the slaves had were not, was not the faith of the slave masters. The faith that the slaves had came because Jesus met the slaves in a very authentic and transformative way. The faith that they had with the Lord Jesus Christ was a faith that was their own. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so the main idea of the sermon is simply this, that knowing Jesus requires an authentic encounter with him. Knowing Jesus requires an authentic encounter with him. We're coming from John chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And so we are going to read this chapter, then we'll pray together, and then we'll jump in. As, as we pray, continue to pray my strength as I'm standing up here on, on half a leg. And so... Let us read. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be before your people sharing your word again. And in your mercy, I pray that you would grant me a strength to stay up here these few minutes that you would grant me your grace, that I'd be a, 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 as pain-free as possible a few minutes. And Lord God, that you would cause your word to go forth from my lips with clarity, with conviction, without error, without heresy. And that your word would accomplish in the hearts and the minds of every person present here exactly what you've sent it to accomplish. We give you the glory and the honor, because indeed you are worthy of all our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's watch this quick video. We'll Chris tells us this. Others to join him. They quit their jobs. 
Um, quick short video. How many of you guys have seen these commercials? Uh, I think they're fantastic. I think, I think if you've been a Christian for some time, you see these things and you get a little queasy because typically Christians don't do the best in terms of media and, and things of that nature, you know. Um, but I think these are really cool. I think they're done well. I think they're a helpful way of, of telling the world about Jesus in, in a way that's relevant. I think they're helpful. I know, you know, um, I know we may have different perspectives on how sound they are, but I think they're helpful. Um, I remember seeing one of them during the Super Bowl last year and being kind of shocked that there wasn't a ton of backlash about something that said Jesus this explicitly. And um, I'm sure somebody didn't like it, but for the most part, it seemed to be received pretty, with, with a lot of uh, pretty pleasantly. Um, and I think that the fact that something like this that speaks about Jesus so openly is received so well speaks to something that I think is pretty, pretty apparent about our particular social and cultural moment. And it's the idea that the world is not or our culture, our society is not becoming more secularized as we may have thought. And by secularized, I mean less desirous of God and things like spiritual things. I think that our cultural moment, our society right now, is becoming more secularized than ever. Meaning that we're seeking things that are sacred. That we're looking for spiritual meaning. We're looking for God in all the wrong places. We're looking for God. We're looking for spiritual meaning probably just as much as ever. Right? There's a ton of emphasis placed on spiritual dynamics like energy and the universe and, and vibes and the interconnectedness of nature and, and humanity and beings. And even in Christianity, I remember having a conversation with an older pastor not too long ago, and he was like, man, I love young Christians today. I love them. He said, young Christians are more ecumenical, meaning they're more diverse in their theological perspectives than ever. He said they're less divided by denominations and secondary beliefs. He said they're less concerned with church competition. They don't really have that us against them mentality. He said they're smarter than ever. They're excelling in the fields of, of business and tech and politics and education and athletics more than ever. He said young Christians are awesome. He said, but there's one problem. Young Christians don't know Jesus. And I remember when he said that, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you're like, they're saying great things. And they're like, yeah, great, great. Then they say one insane thing. And you're like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> like, you know. And so it took me some time to mull over what this pastor was saying. 
Because I was asking myself, how can there be Christians who don't know Jesus? Well, it eventually hit me. A lot of Christians, young and old really, know a lot about Jesus and embrace a lot about Jesus without actually knowing and embracing Jesus himself. In other words, embracing Jesus means to acknowledge him as God, as God par excellence, the God, no other. And this requires a genuine encounter with him as God and not just as another spiritual or inspirational option. And I think that's what's palatable to our culture, to our particular society, our moment right now in society. Because we're open to spirituality as a dynamic that we all shall embrace, as long as Jesus is another option, we're cool. He gets us. But once he becomes God, the God par excellence, even as we will see our main character Nathaniel declares, then there's a problem. But what we, what we understand and what we'll see from this passage is that Jesus doesn't offer us another religious or spiritual choice. And a true encounter with him will prove this, as we'll see in the story we read today. Now, in our passage this morning, we meet someone who has an authentic encounter with Jesus, and we see the, what the impact this encounter has. And what we read is that one day, and likely by divine appointment, Jesus finds Philip. He goes out into this region of the world called Galilee. He finds a man named Philip. And Philip, it turns out, is actually hometown buddies with Andrew and Simon, who we come to know as Peter. They're, both, they're all from Bethsaida. And the first thing that Philip does when Jesus commands him to follow him is he goes and finds his brother Nathaniel. Now, there's actually some thought that Nathaniel is Bartholomew, because although Jesus calls Nathaniel here almost as a disciple, as an apostle, he's not listed as the 12 other in other places. So it's believed that maybe he's Bartholomew. Um, some of you guys are wondering, so why are the different names? I'll give you a quick example. If you know me from church, my name is Leon or Pastor Mac. If you know me when I coach basketball, my name is Coach Mac. If you know me from my family, let me see how let me see how much family I got in here. What's my name? Theo. Theo. Just like that. Sometimes you're the same man of many different names. And so Nathaniel could potentially be Bartholomew. So Nathaniel, so Nathaniel, Philip goes to Nathaniel, and Philip says, Nathaniel, I found him. I found him. I found the Messiah, the one who Moses and the prophets wrote about, the long-waited Savior of Israel. I found him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Well, Nathaniel is a little skeptical about anything good coming from Nazareth. And so he asks, can anything good come from there? And you see, the reason why Nathaniel asked this is because Nazareth was a very small and out-of-the-way kind of town, a very small town that people didn't really go to, you just go through kind of town. And Nazareth had a reputation for being very snooty in their religion. Uh, people from Nazareth were very um, 
They were holy rollers. They were holier than thou kinds of folks. So much so that when Mary was found to be pregnant before her and Joseph had been married, they had to hightail it out of there. That's really why Joseph took Mary back to the census. Was for her protection and her safety. Because these folks didn't really go for that kind of thing. Well, Philip's response to Nathaniel is, is simple, yet it's profound. He says, come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? But why don't you come and see? When Nathaniel comes and before he even approaches Jesus, Jesus recognizes him. And Jesus calls out, here is a true Israelite. One who has no deceit. Here is a real Jew. After the heart of God. And Jesus is likely pointing to Nathanael's piety, which is sincere, unlike the faith of the religious leaders who oppose Jesus. And Nathanael is taken back by what Jesus says, and he asks Jesus simply, he says, hey, excuse me, have we, have we met? How do you know me? And Jesus, in spectacular fashion, he tells Nathanael that he knew him while he was still under the fig tree. And more literally, what Jesus says to him is something like, I knew you. As you sat under the fig tree, even before the thought entered your brother's mind to go and get you. Even before it entered his mind to go and bring you to me, I knew you. Obviously, by Nathaniel's reaction that we'll talk about in a second, Nathaniel had been under the fig tree. Some speculate that he was under the fig tree. He was he was studying the scriptures under the shade of the fig tree, particularly those scriptures that pointed to the Messiah that Nathaniel was one of those who poured over the scriptures if he, to see if he might find the signs pointing to this Messiah, when he will come, if he is indeed here. And would you have it that the answer comes and finds him as he is under the fig tree seeking the Messiah. And when Nathaniel hears this, he's amazed and he declares, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Brothers and sisters, Nathaniel's experience exemplifies what we've already said this morning. To truly know Jesus, one must have an authentic encounter with him. But here's the kicker. Hey, babe. Nobody else kid will, will distract me, but he, mine will. Thank you so much, babe. But here's the kicker. Authentic encounters with Jesus don't always guarantee acceptance of him as he is. I'll say it again. Authentic encounters with Jesus don't always guarantee acceptance of him as he is. Encountering Jesus does demand a response. And that response will be to either fully embrace him as our Lord and our God or to reject him as anything less. I'll say that one, last, one more time. Encountering Jesus does demand a response, and that response will be to either fully embrace him as Lord and God or to reject him as anything else, anything less. Now, as Christians, we have a part to play in helping other people encounter Jesus. And I think that Philip outlines a very simple and helpful strategy for this. And it's two quick things. One, we tell people about Jesus. Two, we invite them to come see him at work. Really simple. 
So first, we tell people about Jesus. And another word for telling people about Jesus is evangelism. And evangelism can be scary. Um, there's the fear of saying something wrong, right? Potentially pushing people away or not having the kind of relationship with a person that will allow you to speak about something as intimate as personal faith or of simply seeming weird, right? It's really difficult to be labeled as that Jesus freak, right? That, that, that crazy Bible thumper. But I think the first step to telling people about Jesus is not saying much at all. I think the first step to telling people about Jesus is to living a life, to live a life that represents Jesus well. To live a life that exudes the character of Christ so well that people are actually interested in what makes you, in what makes you the way you are. Or better yet, who makes you the way you are. And this isn't a knock on street evangelism. I know a lot of us don't like open air preachers, but believe it or not, people get saved from some open air preaching. I, by myself, surely got saved from some hellfire and brimstone preaching. I remember Brother David, he used to put it real simple. He used to say, smoking or not smoking, which seat you want? He used to say, get right or get left. And that's all I needed to hear. Again, I know that's not probably as, as popular as it is, you know, back then today, but it worked for me. For, for me. So, but I'm not knocking that open-ear preaching, hellfire, brimstone, any of those things. But I've found that it's really helpful for a person's interest to be piqued by something in the Christian's life before the person you hope to share with will care anything about the faith that's behind your life. Imagine if Philip was a jerk. Imagine if he was a jerk and he came to Nathaniel and said, hey, I found this Messiah, the one that we've, we've been looking for, the one you've been looking for. It's likely that Nathaniel wouldn't have cared. Right? If his life didn't exude anything that point, like, looked like someone seeking the Messiah sincerely with faithfulness in life. And so, brothers and sisters, Living authentically for Jesus opens the door to share Jesus. And when it's time to share Jesus, stick close to the script, the Bible. Just stay close to the script. In this particular cultural moment we've just gone through from 2016 to about 2020 and still kind of now, particularly with all the racial things and a lot of people kind of leaving the church because of racial tensions and things, a buddy of mine who worked for a long time at Reformed Theological Seminary and now does other things. He worked with John Piper, Design and God. He's a really cool guy. His name is Philip Holmes. He was being asked by a lot of people how they should engage this particular cultural moment from the pulpit and in churches and things. And I loved his answer because it was so succinct and I don't think he said much more about the topic outside of this particular one post on, on Twitter, now X. He said, when people ask me this question, I tell them very simply, stay close to the script. Just stick close to the Bible. And friends, when we're talking to people about Jesus, it's very helpful for us to do the same thing. I've actually found it helpful to just speak matter-of-factly, right? Somebody says, man, this world is messed up. I don't know where this world is going. And I'll just interject with something really simple like, man, can't wait for Jesus to come back. Or they'll say, man, this world is messed up, man. I don't think it's ever going to get any better. And I just say, man, that's why I'm trusting Jesus to make something beautiful from this mess. 
Telling somebody about Jesus doesn't have to be a sermon or something weird. It can simply be a quick statement of a core belief that you hold about Jesus and his redemptive work in the world. Or it could just be a clear story about what God has done in your life. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be long. Actually, I'm going to tell you, probably don't, don't make it long. <laughs> just make it matter-of-factly. So the first thing is we tell people about Jesus. The second thing is invite people to see him at work. And by this, friends, I simply mean invite folks to church. Invite them to church or your small group or somewhere that you're serving in the name of the Lord. You know, as a pastor, um, I found that I don't invite people to church nearly as much as I should. And I, and I realized I was going through the sermon. I was trying to figure out why that was the case. And it's because I think that I've determined previously that doing so is a little self-aggrandizing. Right. I work at the church. I'm a pastor at the church. So if I'm inviting to the church, I'm kind of saying, come see me. Right. Come see what I've done. And I realize that that's just a ploy of the enemy. Because if I really feel like I'm working here at the church the way the Lord would have me do, then when I invite you to church, it's not come see what I've done. It's come see what God is doing. And we have a great opportunity particularly at this church. Again, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I can say this with a lot of confidence that the Lord has blessed us with a place here that we can invite just about anyone here and they are going to feel welcome. They're going to experience some level of the character and goodness and love and, and, and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ here. And I mean, I mean, and I've invited different kinds of folks here. I've invited some wealthy people here. I've invited people from different backgrounds here, and I've only heard one thing from all of them alike. Man, these people really welcomed us well. Man, I really sense God at work here. So if you're looking for a simple way to just invite someone to see God at work, and that's a kind of play on words, right? Like this is where God works and this is where he works. But if you, if you really want to invite God, I mean, invite people to, to meet God, to have an encounter with Jesus where he's at work, man, you have a great place to do it here. And I try to say that as objectively as I can. These are opportunities for people to encounter Jesus when you invite them to church, when you invite them to your small group, when you invite them to where you're serving in his name, because Jesus has promised that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he will be present. I know that a lot of people have renounced the local church and the gathering of the saints. But friends, I can say with a great deal of certainty that one person has not. And that's Jesus. Jesus has not abandoned his church. As messed up as she is, as messed up as we are, he has not abandoned her. And so when we don't invite people to join the gathering of the saints, we are not inviting them to come where he has promised to be. And where he will continue to be. Now... I want to close with an important question, and this is actually closing part 1A, just so you know. It's going to be a 1B closing. <laughs> but here's the question. Why is it so important that we have an encounter with Jesus, or that people have an encounter with Jesus, and that we help people know him as he is? Why is it not enough to allow Jesus to just be another option for spirituality and inspiration? Well, after Nathaniel declares his faith in Jesus as the Messiah, Jesus responds by saying, 
You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. And the greater thing that Nathaniel will witness, Jesus says, is the Son of Man serving as the connection between heaven and earth. Symbolized by angels ascending and descending on him. And when Jesus says this, he's referring back to Genesis. Where one of the patriarchs, Jacob, he has this dream of a ladder coming down from heaven. And angels going up and down on the ladder. And by saying this, by Jesus equating himself to this ladder, what he is saying emphatically is that he is the one who replaces the ladder. And that he is the sole pathway between heaven and earth. That he is the sole connection between God and man. And this makes it clear from Jesus' own words that he is not just one option among many, but he is the only true option to reach God. He is the only true option for relationship with the Lord God Almighty. So consequently, if we're indifferent or if we're casual to people believing in anything else or believing about Jesus anything else, we're essentially accepting the possibility of them spending an eternity without him. So let's tell people about Jesus. Let's invite folks to church. Because the only way for them to truly know him is to have an authentic encounter with him. And we are ambassadors of his. We are called to go and mediate these encounters with him. That's why we have the Spirit of God. That's why we have the Spirit of God, to cooperate in the work that God is doing in this world. Now, I wanted to... Closing 1B. I wanted to reference a story in the Bible um, that happens later in in John, and I'm not sure we're going to touch it. I haven't looked forward in the the lectionary, but even if we do, it's it's fine. And it's a story of Jesus' encounter with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And if you remember the story, this is in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night. And there's different, re- there's different uh, assumptions of why he comes. I'm of the party that he comes because as a religious leader, he doesn't want to bring poor attention to himself, coming to Jesus knowing that his associates see, um, see Jesus as an opponent. But he comes to Jesus and essentially wants to know about this eternal life that Jesus has been speaking about. And Jesus says essentially, uh, in order for anyone to enter the kingdom of God, they must be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how can someone, when they are old, pretty much go back into the womb and be born again? And Jesus clarifies it, and he tells him, he says, the wind blows as it will. And from whence it comes and to where it goes, you know not. But you know that it's been where it's been by what it does. Again, I'm going to use some of y'all caught it, some of y'all didn't. He said, the wind blows. He said, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. He says, but you know that the wind has been where it's been by what it has done. He said, so it is with the Spirit of God. You don't see what the Spirit is doing, but you know that he's worked because you see what he has done. And if anyone would enter the kingdom of heaven in eternal life, they must have had this indelible work of the Spirit done in their life. And that work is called the new birth, being born again. That's the only way to salvation. That's the only way to eternal life. 
but that work is not ours to accomplish. And so that when we go out and tell people about Jesus, and when we invite them to see him at work, understand that that is all we are called to do. The work of salvation is the work of the Spirit. And we trust the Spirit to do that. And I I close with that only to say, brother and sister, the pressure is off. If you've been sitting under the weight of feeling that you need to save somebody or change somebody, can I just help you know you can't? You can't. But what you can do is tell them about the one who can. And what you can do is invite them to encounter the one who can. And if you haven't been doing that, I would say this week at some point, pray for the courage and the opportunity to do so. Just tell them about Jesus. Invite them to see where he's at work. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you again for the opportunity to stand up here and preach it. And Lord, as I pray that you would grant us the trust in you and and the courage to go out and just tell people about you. Father, let us be overwhelmed with the work that you've done in our life. God, let us remember where we were when you found us. Let us remember how far you've brought us. And let us remember, Father, that if anyone else would have any hope of true transformation, if anyone would have any hope of eternal life, that, Father, they got to encounter you, Jesus. they got to come to you, Jesus. they got to meet you, Jesus. If anybody's here, Lord, and they themselves have not met you, I pray that you would go to them, engage them, grant them the new birth, Grant them the forgiveness of sins. Grant them the salvation of their souls, Lord God. Please do it. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.